Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. Hey, everybody. This is Stephanie here. Not to start the show out on a bummer, but we had a little blooper. Uh, I figured I'd come clean about it before you start listening to the whole show. There was an audio source mix-up, and we were using the wrong microphone. We realized it about 20 minutes in, and then we fixed it. But the first 20 minutes of the show are a little bit lower quality than you may be used to. So I just wanted to let everybody know that. I'm really sorry. Hopefully it won't happen again. It happens to the best of us in podcasting. Ooh, just got a message there. (laughs) Okay, enjoy the show. Hang with us past the first 20 minutes. It gets better, I swear. And now here's Sex and Science Hour. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Breaking all the rules here on Sex and Science Hour. We are going to break one of the cardinal rules of radio and start off the show today by... Quoting Ozzy Osbourne? (laughs) I almost sang it, but I didn't want to get in too much trouble here. Right. Um, no, we're going to start off today by talking about the weather, which I feel like is pretty much a cardinal rule of radio. It makes for boring radio when you oh, talk yeah. about the weather, but everybody's thinking about the weather because, uh, well, it's January 7th when we're recording this. Happy New Year, everybody, by the way. Woohoo! We decided not to take a break uh, between the seasons. Well, right. I mean, maybe we did like a three-day break, but we're back. You know, yeah, we did yeah. a show last week. Uh, so so happy Christmas. Happy New Year. Uh, we love all our listeners, and we wanted to give you a little gift by not taking a long season break, because we want to keep you. So yeah, <laughs> we want this relationship to, to stay strong. But anyway, everybody's thinking about the weather now because there is a serious cold snap going on in the U.S., Uh, I know not all of our listeners are based in the U.S., of course, but, um, you know, the weather is very weird uh, this year. Um, It's extremely cold in most parts of the country, except for California and like, you know, the most southernmost Florida, Texas, that kind of thing. Sure. I mean, I'm seeing like temperatures now. So I'm the kind of guy kind of like Lewis Black who says, look, if it says it feels like because of the wind chill that this is the temperature, that's the fucking temperature. Okay, (laughs) screw the fact. How do they calculate that? I've always wondered. Maybe if we have any meteorologists in the audience, they could write in and tell us how that number is actually calculated. Because it feels (laughs) like, you know, feels like is by definition arbitrary, right? Right. You could say, I feel like... Um, you know, no, I feel like a lizard in a tutu, but it doesn't make it so. Yeah, yeah, but it feels like I mean, there's a pretty easy way that there are sensors that make this the wind chill, pretty, yeah, 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 very basic. But anyway, it like I saw yesterday, negative thirty three outside feels like negative thirty three. Oh, I don't think now. I used boy. to go to I used to go to Yellowstone. 
up in the Northwest Territory in Canada a lot. No, not Yellowstone. Yellowknife. Sorry, Yellowknife. What yeah. the hell? Yellowstone. <laughs> well, it's easy to confuse. Yes. They both start with Yellowstone. Yellowknife so. <laughs> in the Northwest Territory. I used to go there a lot. And of course, I've talked to you about this many times, Stephanie, because I want to take you there. Oh, Whoever yeah. else wants to go. Shit. For going. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like there, that's kind of commonplace. But 30, negative 33 Fahrenheit, that's amazing to see that. In know? New Hampshire, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, that's cold even for New Hampshire in it January. Is. It is pretty uh, cold. <laughs> and yeah, it has been really cold. There's ice inside my windowsills. I, a number of friends have posted the same thing. There's like ice on the insides of their windows. I'll tell you. It's cold. <laughs> we saw that. We, we I know we're, we're making the boring radio. But we saw that. <laughs> We saw that caterpillar, that woolly caterpillar. Oh yeah, that thing was jet black. Did we talk about that on the show? I don't know if we mentioned. Okay, it. well, if you didn't, if we didn't talk about it, or if we did, but you didn't hear that show, there's a a, a myth. A uh, I don't want to say old wives' tale because I feel like that's it's a eh, bit sexist. There might be a little but, something to it. There's an urban legend. Uh, there's a myth that there are these caterpillars and they're like called woolly bear caterpillars, common name or something like mm-hmm. that, and they have um, two black. The the head and the tail are black, and the middle is brown or like reddish brown, like yeah, a it can color. be kind of ringed, yeah, yeah. And so, but the length of the brown stripe varies from caterpillar to caterpillar, and from year to year. And so, people have long relied on the the, the size of that red or rusty colored stripe to predict how bad the winter is going to be. It's like the, it's like Groundhog's Day, you know. It's like yeah, the Groundhog. it is yeah. a little bit Same like Groundhog's concept. Day, yeah. But so, you know, we read up on it because we saw a caterpillar that was completely like it. Its tail was not even black. It was almost completely it brown. It was huge. It, no, no, it was totally black. Oh, it was totally black. Okay, yeah. never mind. Which the, the less brown, the harsher the winter. That's yeah, the we looked it up and that's apparently the story. So, well, I mean. So far. Woo. There were some scientists who tried to do a study on those caterpillars and really, it just turned into them like fucking off in the Berkshires or something, <laughs> having a vacation and saying that they were going to look at the caterpillars. Yeah. Uh, but basically, they found that it was like loosely correlated with the harshness of the winter or the length of the winter. Um, but then there was other scientists that said that it was really more to do with the conditions of the previous uh, spring, because that's when those caterpillars hatch. Uh-huh. And they're like alive for the whole summer. So how could they predict the following winter? I don't know. But uh, but yeah, we did see, if if that counts as a harbinger of a, a serious winter, we did see a pretty serious harbinger, pretty yeah. serious caterpillar there. So far the prediction's on. Yeah, so far the prediction's on. So much so that apparently there are frozen iguanas like falling out of the trees in some places yeah so there are iguanas in florida and you know lizards are cold-blooded and how active they are and how much they're able to move their muscles depends on how much heat is in their environment right and that's why when you have a pet lizard you have to put it under a heat lamp because they if they get too cold they they can't really move very well and um that's the nature of all cold-blooded creatures who can't regulate their own body temperature. But apparently in Florida, there there was a particular cold snap and iguanas were getting frozen and paralyzed and they were falling out of the trees because they can't hang on to the trees when they're so cold that they can't move. 
poor little things. And people just, were posting pictures on social media of these like lizard sickles, you know, just like iguanas that look like they're, they look like they're sleeping or something, but they're kind of stiff, you know, and they, they're just kind of laying there waiting to be warmed up in the sun before they can actually move. So what's the weather in Florida today? Oh, it's tell you, it's raining, raining possums iguanas. and iguanas. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. Isn't this something? Isn't like in Massachusetts? Aren't there like sharks washing? Yes, up? there are frozen sharks washing up on the beach in Massachusetts. Wow. Um, there's a statistic floating around that's saying that some parts of Canada are colder than Mars. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I think that you know Mars is pretty cold. Like you know, they're talking about the the daytime temperature of Mars, which is like the warmest it ever gets, right. and the cold one of the coldest parts of Earth. So it's not really exactly fair, but I suppose it proves a point. You know, so how are the sea levels uh, in, in in the Arctic? I mean, how how are we doing? I don't know. <laughs> What global warming? Oh yeah, I, I know. Well, I know, Brian. It's, it's not change. global warming. It's climate change. Yeah. Look, I buy into some of the environmentalist stuff, but like, obviously, these people generally, just like most meteorologists, have no fucking idea what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, g- global warming, I guess, was a little bit of a, a misnomer. I mean, I uh, this is an interesting discussion. Do, what do you think? Of, tell me a little more nuanced opinion of yours about climate change. What do you think about it? Do you think it's real? Do you think humans are causing it? And do you think there should be something done about it? Those are usually the three questions that people ask. Oh, I think that so the arguments for wanting to make more efficient technologies and to take it easy, shall we say, on the um on the biosphere of the earth. I think those are great ideas, regardless. Those are great ideas, regardless of what's happening to the planet. Like you really, you know, those are things you want to care about for a bunch of reasons. One of them being also is that, look, I think humanity is meant to be a multi-planet species. Like we're just meant to be. And that, you know, to become that, you really want to get your shit efficient and you will, you really want to be able to respect the ecosystem that you find yourself within, uh, respect it so that you can thrive and survive on it. Sure. Um, I mean, we're really extreme weather causes deaths too. I mean, it can hurt people. Sure. Yeah. Hurricanes, yeah. you know, namely. Right. I mean, you know, humans can have like, here's the thing is that this is what the argument comes down to. Okay. These things are happening. The scientific data is accurate, but are humans causing it or not? Here's, Here's the, the the thing that a lot of people want to ignore. Yes, humans can have dramatic effects upon the planet Earth. Right. And, like, what species doesn't affect its environment in some way? I mean, of course humans are going to alter the planet that we live on, especially when there's so many of us and we have all these technologies. Yeah, of course we're altering the Earth. Well, in, in, a, in dramatic fashion, and here I'll give you an example, okay? And this was pretty much just discovered this year. So there's, t- there's a communications technology that gets used usually between submarines and other things called VLF, very low frequency. Okay, and this... You know, it's not something you can send audio over, but it gets it, used all over the place. Is this like the, the C equivalent of like the Wi-Fi disrupting the bees? Is it like just communicating uh, yeah, with well, whales well, or let something? Me okay, let okay, me good. finish. Okay, because this isn't a bad thing. So, but using VLF, and it's not just military scientists; all kinds of people use this. Uh, you know, use this communicate, use this transmission form, and VLF. We've found out, NASA found out, is has created an entire barrier around the planet Earth that's actually pushing back the Van Allen belts, which are these, you know, really dangerous radiation belts. Whoa. And that's all and this is only a technology that's been used since the sixties. But it's created a literal field, a, a protective shield, literally a protective shield around the Earth, and it's man made. 
Okay, so wow. my point being... The fields. The fields, right. But it's not harmful to humans as far as we know. And if anything, it's actually protecting the earth. Like, it's a good thing. But that's my point, is that humans really can inadvertently, and it can take you decades to finally figure it out, uh, really, like, alter the, the, the functioning of the entire planet Earth. Even, you know, you could be altering space weather with what you use and what you do. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's that's very legitimate that man that hum, humans really can fuck with the earth and in, in this case fortunately with vlf it was a positive right um, it's not usually a positive though but that's the thing about technology it's always a double-edged sword like for every bad thing there's going to be ways to fix the bad thing that come about with technology and there's going to be good things that come about with technology right now that said i think that and this is something this is kind of the hot thing it's been the hot thing for a few years but the hot thing in the tech world is um, what you call biomimicry, where you mimic what you find in nature to create like an efficient technology or even a new technology or something like this. I mean, even in nature now we know, you know, there's insects that have like their legs are like gears, literal winching gears. Okay. And so, you know, the gear is, is a natural construct, right? But the idea, the reason why biomimicry I think is so important is, I mean, it just kind of shows, look, you know, evolution's a thing. Things have evolved in a certain way. You might want to pay attention to how that works, and you might not work. You might not want to work against the tide, the stream of evolution, or of you know how nature is functioning. And really, since the industrial age, we've done a hell of a job of working against that in a lot of ways. And so, I think that there needs to be again. This, these are all arguments that exist outside of environmentalism or not. Okay, uh, but I think it just makes good sense to go with the tide of, you know, of, of, of nature, go with the tide of, of evolution. Um, because I mean, yeah, like, you know, carbon, all this, you know, carbon monoxide in the air, all this stuff. I mean, look, you, you can, you know, if it, if it had a funny color, you'd see it and you'd be like, holy shit, why are we doing this? Yeah. If it looked, you know, if it was like purple, just color it purple. And man, everybody would instantly say, yeah, I'll take my bike, you know? <laughs> and, and so I, so are you saying that people pollute because they don't see the immediate effects of it? Yeah, I think people do a lot of things because they don't see the immediate yeah, effects. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I can't say, I don't think there's there's necessarily been enough time. I mean, take the example of the VLF field that's surrounding the Earth now. It took 40, 50 years to figure out that yeah. that was the deal. But, and, the, the, but the industrialization and the technology are accelerating at a, a you know, exponential pace. Right. And so we won't see the effects for a while, but they could be very drastic by the time we actually start to see them. Sure. Uh, you know... Some people say like that there isn't actually, oh, we, we could go on forever about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. What about the last question I asked, which was, what do you think should be done about it? If anything, you're kind of getting into that. But for me, I just want to answer. Yes, I do think real quick. I do think that um, the climate is changing and I do think humans are causing it at least part partially. Yes, you know? they have, they have a hand in it. Yeah, they, absolutely. There's no way, especially if you're changing the distance of the Van Allen belts to the earth, there's no way you're not having some kind of hand in what, what kind of weather the earth experiences and things like this, right. and what's going on. Um, the dangers around that is another story, but I just want to make this, I, I say this all the time. I want to make this very clear. Look, e ecology is a real science, totally legitimate environmentalism, in my opinion, by and large, is a cult. It's a religious cult, you know, and, and that's, <laughs> yeah. but ecology is dead serious, you know, and people confuse those two and want to ignore ecology just because they get so pissed off in environmentalists. Yeah, I, I do think there's really something there. And I would say that even though I believe that humans are changing the climate, I don't really like the governmentally imposed solutions of you must reduce time. your carbon footprint. Yeah, you just yeah. can't. I mean, 
In order to help people help the planet, it has to make sense and it has to be efficient. And you have to get them to want to do it, you know, <laughs> somehow, or it just has to be economically sound to do it. So those are the challenges I think will be met with more technology. So I'm not worried about it. I think it'll work itself out. More coming up. We won't have iguanas falling out of trees forever, folks. Just put on a hat, put on a little hard hat, wait it out. Put on a helmet and get on keep, the bike. Oh. Keep calm, <laughs> get on your bike, and try not to get hit by any falling lizards. I, can, can I make one last quick comment? Sure. Uh, about that subject. Yeah. You know, and I just want to say, like, I don't think that there are a whole lot of planets in the entire universe. And fuck your math, because I think your math is wrong. I don't think my all, math. Well, I didn't have any math. Well, I, I mean the the, the world. Um, you know, I I don't think there are many planets like Earth where like life can do what it does here. Sure. And so I think it's it's a good idea, regardless of which way you believe, to be very cautious of what you do with this jewel. Okay, because there aren't many of them. We're going to be a multi-planet species, sure, but that doesn't mean we're going to find any more, you know, wonderful realms, uh, you know, or worlds that we could live on like this one. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a good idea to really think twice about how you handle things. And who the hell likes a litterer anyway? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes a litter, especially if they grew up in the 90s and they saw all those cartoons that were depicting people who heartlessly threw their cigarette out the window. What a <laughs> jerk. <laughs> okay, Brian. Well, it's segment two. We're talking science here, but we're also talking sex because it is sex and science hour. <laughs> Uh, there's been a study that's confirmed that sapiosexuality is real. Oh. Now, we've talked about this on the show before. Um, what is sapiosexuality? Well, um, the definition that I've heard most often is when people are attracted to other people's intelligence. And perhaps it also carries a connotation of it doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't really matter what their gender is or what body parts they have. The most important factor in their attraction is the brain and intelligence and what's on the inside. And that's pretty, that's pretty, um, you know, uh, genderless and appearanceless. It's pretty ethereal, you know? Sure. <laughs> so, um, Brian, would you consider yourself sapiosexual or on the sapiosexual spectrum? There was a time where I would have said no. Uh, in fact, might even been very recently because mm -hmm. we've talked about this in the past on the show. But mm -hmm. no, yeah, I think I've I think I've I've reached that point. You, you know, would consider yourself sapiosexual. Where, oh. Yeah, it's it's about the person, mm. you know. Cool. Um, unfortunately, I think most men are shit. Uh, and, <laughs> well, and they're just not good people. So sorry, yeah. guys. Brian's not into you. But don't don't take my word for it. Listen to Gene Simmons or whoever. They'll tell you. I mean, everyone will tell you. Look, guys are jerks you know, almost by nature. And I mean, so, but yes, I would consider myself sapiosexual. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, um, I don't know if I would consider, I, I don't usually say sapiosexual when I'm describing my sexuality, but intelligence and what's in the person's mind and an intellectual connection is definitely a very important element of attraction for me. Sure. And uh, it's not just it's it's not just the brain though. You know what I mean? Like I would call myself bisexual before I would call myself sapiosexual. Yeah. Yeah, cuz cuz there's features that you like, right? right? Yeah. Like I'm attracted to femininity and masculinity and it you know, it doesn't have to have anything to do with the brain, but in a long-term relationship or even 
I, I don't know, in any kind of relationship, I think that I would want at this point in my life, um, you know, the mental connection is extremely important. Yeah. But I wouldn't have ruled anybody out because of their gender before, you know what I mean? Before considering the mental connection. Mm, okay. So anyway, um, yeah, I mean, sapiosexuality, the criticism is that some people say it sounds elitist. Like you're, or, or maybe even, oh, but I'm totally elitist. maybe even ableist, right? Like, yeah, I, I'm totally elitist. Like, I, <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't you wear that label. That. You, yeah. you, you wear the elitist label more proudly than the sapiosexual label. <laughs> <laughs> you're a proud, out and proud elitist. So anyway, here's, here's some more about the study. Uh, a minority, this is from SciPost.org, uh, by Eric Dolan. A minority of people are genuinely turned on by intelligence, according to new psychology research. The study, recently published online in the scientific journal Intelligence, found that most people desire a partner who is smart. Furthermore, a small percentage of them reported that they were sexually aroused by intelligence. A lot of research had shown that, quote, intelligent was a highly ranked characteristic in a partner, but I had my doubts that people preferred a very high level of intelligence in a partner. A very high level of intelligence in a partner, explained Giles Gignac, a senior lecturer. <laughs> or Gignac, I don't know how you pronounce his name. As, <laughs> this is why I usually don't even try to pronounce people's <laughs> names. A senior lecturer at the University of Western Australia. Because, oh yeah, his, his name is totally Giles Gignac, because he's <laughs> Australian. Because because much of the previous research in the area had used rank measurement, it was impossible to tell what level of intelligence people on average preferred. A different type of study needed to be conducted to find out, he told SciPost. A second part of the study was relevant to the word sapiosexual, a person who finds high levels of intelligence the most sexually attractive characteristic in a partner, Gignac said. Okay, so he's defining sapiosexuality as the intelligence is the most sexually attractive thing about somebody. That's a li- that's a slightly different definition than we were just talking about, but I mean, when you do a study, you have to have a definition, and that makes sense as a definition. Yeah, that's tough though, because like intelligence, there's multiple types of intelligences. Like, I mean, there isn't just like, well, they just have a high oh, IQ, you're, you're which saying, I think IQ is nonsense. But right, you're there's problems with IQ for sure. The, the the IQ test, of course. So you're saying that he didn't define intelligence either. No, not not well at all. Because <laughs> yeah, like sure. emotional intelligence, I think, is incredibly sexy. Like high levels of empathy. Oh yeah, that's a major part of what I would for myself, mm-hmm. you know, consider like, I guess, part of my sapiosexuality if I was going to go with that or my elitism. Yeah, no, I really agree with that. I mean, it, high levels of emotional awareness is extremely attractive to me. Yeah. Definitely more than um, intellectual, like straight up intellectual, like, oh, have you read this book? Oh, dear. Let me. Yeah, yeah. Shakespeare <laughs> to you. Yeah, or exactly. I... I mean, a strong emotional base is way more important than a strong knowledge base. Yeah. To me. And they don't always go together. Sometimes they do. Right. But not it's not a guarantee exactly. So I wonder, you're right. I wonder exactly what they mean in this study by intelligence, but maybe we'll find out here. Uh, So anyway, he said the word sapiosexual had been used in popular culture, but had not yet been investigated scientifically. Consequently, I wondered whether sapiosexuality could be measured with a conventional psychometric scale and how many self-described sapiosexuals there might be in the population. For their study, Gignac and his colleagues surveyed 383 adults regarding what traits they valued in a romantic partner and how attracted they were to people of varying intelligence levels. Quote, intelligent was the second most highly ranked trait behind kind and understanding, 
Oh, oh so that's what we were so just talking is. about. Yeah. Yeah. The third and fourth most highly rated traits were exciting personality and easygoing, respectively. The researchers also, so the four most important things, according to a survey of like about 400 people, was number one, kind and understanding. Number two, intelligent. Number three, exciting personality. And number four, easygoing. Okay. Those are all, those all sound pretty good, right? Sure. Uh, the devil's in the details, of course, but they all sound pretty good. The researchers also found that people rated those with a higher intelligence as more attractive, but this effect appeared to have a ceiling. We found that the association between desirability of a prospective partner and IQ of the prospective partner is curvilinear. It peaks at an IQ of 120, 90th percentile, and drops a bit from 120 to 135, 99th percentile, Gignac told SciPost. So basically, people who are in the 90th percentile of intelligence are generally found to be the most attractive. If you're smarter than that, if you're up in the 99th percent, if you're like genius level, mm-hmm. if you're up in the 99th percentile of intelligence, it actually doesn't do anything more for your your attractiveness. It actually decreases it a little bit. So I'm wondering if, you know, the 90th percentile of intelligence, they're, they're basically smart enough, but they also have maybe the social skills. <laughs> Right, and the nine those people who are up in the ninety ninth percentile, the, those genii out there. <laughs> my dad always used to say genii. <laughs> <laughs> I love it uh, instead of geniuses. But those those genii out there, they're just not very sexy because they're probably nerdy and they, you know, they've got a little more intellectualism and a little bit less feeling, perhaps. Interesting. Okay, that's my speculation. But that was I told you the data. Yeah, yeah, folks. Time out. We are so sorry. We <laughs> fucked up the audio and didn't realize that it sounded like we were on Skype the whole show. Yeah. Uh, but we're just going to run with it because we can't recreate. That's always the problem when you have an audio issue in a podcast. It's like, oh, you can't recreate that great content, but it sounds really shitty. So what do you do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've had the situation recording my own show, Sovereign Tech, where I didn't realize that I pressed play instead of record on the software. Oh, yeah. And then it didn't even record it at all. It was just playing through your template. If I kept, if I had the audio, kind as long as the quality was, as long as you could understand it, I would have ran with it. You know, that's why you always do a backup. So we bet bad shame on us. Shame on us. (laughs) But at least we realized it before the end of the show. So thank you for sticking with us. It was basically the audio source was wrong. It was my webcam instead of my beautiful microphone. So anyway, back to this study about sapiosexuality. We're just going to hang with it. They say, in other words, people were most attracted to a potential partner who was smarter than 90% of the population. They found someone who was smarter than 99% of the population to be slightly less attractive as a partner, but still more attractive than someone who was only smarter than 50% of the population. Hmm. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. The researchers also developed a measure of sapiosexuality that asked participants how much they agreed or disagreed with statements such as, quote, listening to someone speak very intelligently arouses me sexually. And it would excite me sexually to have an intellectually stimulating conversation with a potential partner. Now, Brian, how much do you agree or disagree with this? Listening to someone speak very intelligently arouses me sexually. Would you say that you agree? I, strongly i agree though let me tell you what it arouses me perhaps even more yes now, i'm just being honest the Libraries. flip side no no well yes of course someone the, listening to you talk the, the flip side of somebody telling me that 
saying that to me that wow like your your intellectualism like like what you're saying oh is, somebody praising your brain is your really big is brain. really turning me on <laughs> that's hot like telling me that 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 like you know me talking about whatever is turning you on fuck yeah uh so <laughs> well brian i'm gonna have to tell you about how turned on i get from our conversations because um yeah that was definitely a major factor at the beginning of our relationship like we'd have these great talks about all kinds of stuff and i'd be like oh my god he's so cool and smart we can talk about all these different things it's like really awesome and it's it's a turn on it's so interesting and yeah oh thank you <laughs> I mean, yeah, like we I think ha- you thought that about me too, oh, right? Absolutely, that went both ways. Yeah, we um, have great talks, but yeah, no, I I got the feeling that because there were some nights the way you were reacting. I remember some nights we'd be up till like four or five in the morning. Yeah, we'd, we'd talk just be all talking night. about history. Mm-hmm. I mean, we still get into these modes, and yep. and like you know, afterwards, no, we're not going to bed yet, and it would <laughs> you know stuff would things would start taking place, well, and maybe we are sapiosexuals and didn't even know it. <sighs> you knew it, but hey. I didn't know it. <laughs> I, wow thank you I, that means the world to me oh that, that is that is a feeling shared i assure you oh good well i'm glad we talked about this yeah uh in addition the study used four cognitive tests to examine the intelligence of the participants themselves we found that sapiosexuality can be measured psychometrically and that between one and eight percent of relatively young people 18 to 35 may be sapiosexuals so one to eight percent of young people people under 35 are sapiosexuals they say that's a pretty big range between one and eight percent yeah yeah so maybe the truth is closer to four percent i don't know one in 25 however they say interestingly how intelligent a person is measured with an actual iq test does not appear to predict the degree to which people identify themselves as a sapiosexual so you could be sapiosexual even if you yourself are dumb (laughs) wow okay yep like all research, the study had limitations. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I could see that. You know, even if like you're not super intelligent, that somebody could really be, yeah, like could still be sapiosexual. Like that that would really, well, I mean, that falls in line with, I guess, what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, you know, I'm kind of, can, can I ask you, this is kind of off base, but while we're talking about things oh, that I attract love people. off-base questions. Go, go for it. Yeah. Okay. So this is something I didn't, ex- I mean, I kind of knew, or I I've kind of heard of this, but it's to the point of it being a meme. And I think you've mentioned it before, but I'm curious about your take on it. So guys. Yes. I I think with women, I don't know if it would work this way, but with guys, guys, six feet and taller. Full disclosure, of course, I'm six one. Mm hmm. Tons of six one and tons of fun. You have to add that whenever you talk about your height. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, Got like that, that guy's shorter than six feet. Like are just they're not just seen as like if they're like five eleven even, they are seen as significantly shorter and perhaps like that's marks against their attractiveness. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So I the way I understand the the whole thing about height and attraction, um, taller is seen as more attractive in general, mm-hmm. but it's basically a linear fashion. And taller people actually earn more money. There's like a, another five oh, yeah. five thousand yeah, dollars yeah. a year for every inch taller you are above five eight or something like that. Um, for I think that's probably for men. This is just off the top of my head, but I don't see it as like either over or under six feet. I just see it as like the taller someone is. Yeah, I do find height attractive. Uh-huh. I, it, I can't help it. It's just. That's how it is. Don't can't fight biology. Interesting. <laughs> but my favorite height is 6'1. Hey. <laughs>
I have another favorite height, too. What's that? Five foot eight and really great. That's how tall I am. <laughs> well, it's a funny thing. I mean, with women, I think it, it might even be the opposite. You know, for, for a lot of guys, I think They like short little women. Yeah. Some guys really have a petite women fetish. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. It's yeah. true. I don't, I don't know. know. I like all shapes and sizes. Yeah, I agree. I like all shapes and sizes. But but of women. I mean, but re- you know, just re- real quick. So I mean, are you saying that there? You think that there is like maybe a biological or or an evolutionary or something? Th- there is something to that. That like a guy. Yeah, you're not really measuring, but there's some kind of oh, what's intangible. Yeah. That wow, like a guy above a certain height. It just it has pings, this automatic. Yeah, it pings something in my brain. Like I yeah. found, I've I have found. I'm usually not even that attracted to men. Um, right. Kudos. But, yeah. but I have found like some tall men very attractive that I wouldn't be attracted to if they were short. I wouldn't even look, give them a second look. Yeah. You know? All right. Now, next question. It was simply because they were tall. Right. But like, is now, is there an upper limit to that, though? No. I mean. Well, like if a guy's like seven one. So I had a friend in high school who was, oh, gosh six foot nine or ten he was almost seven feet tall okay okay and he was really nerdy and wasn't very attractive yeah by conventional standards but there were times when i would feel like really attracted to him and then suddenly it dawned on me it's like oh it's because he's a giant (laughs) like do i have a fetish for this or something i'm not really sure (laughs) so do you think it's true for a lot of uh, uh people that are into men that they that taller is kind of a I mean, maybe it's a sign of, you know, athleticism or masculinity or just being able to reach the tall fruits on the trees or whatever. Mm. I don't I don't exactly know. I mean, sometimes the size difference between um, like a big man and a small woman really emphasizes that sexual dimorphism and it makes you feel more like a woman or more like a man. And some people find that really sexy to like emphasize the sexual, you know, dimorphic differences or whatever. Interesting. So I don't know. Maybe that's what it's about. Um, I will say that I have found short guys attractive as well. Sure, you know, sure I don't right. dismiss anybody because of their height, but um, I definitely noticed that height is a turn on. And it, I'm not saying I have to like jump the bones of any tall guy that I meet, but <laughs> right. definitely not. But yeah, it definitely pings something in my brain. Okay, just just curious. Now, speaking of pinging things in your brain, all right. How often are college students using the dating app Tinder to cheat on their partners? Woo, that's a ping. <laughs> the science has revealed it. Yes, ping, you have a new match. <laughs> <laughs> this is also from SciPost and uh, got our show prep from uh, Cognitive Dissident, actually, who has been banned from Facebook but is emailing us. So okay. thank you, Cognitive Dissident. Uh, still don't know who you are, but I have a guess. It's all right. I'm not posting on Facebook, <laughs> but really, anyway. But I'm not going to guess too hard. Yeah, yeah I know. I, yeah, Facebook can be overrated sometimes, but I like our Facebook group. It's the Sex and Science Hour podcast community, yes. in case you want to join it. Uh, okay, so how often are college students using the dating app Tinder to cheat on their partners? Also by Eric Dolan. Psychology research recently published in Personality and Individual Differences indicated how often the popular dating platform Tinder was being used to cheat on a partner. The study found that most Tinder users know someone who has used Tinder to cheat. Almost a third of the participants thought that other people use Tinder to cheat often. So people, when it's not about them, when it's about all those other people and what they're doing, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody uses Tinder to cheat. They might not admit it that they use Tinder to cheat, but they think other people do. And they're probably right. 
So there has not been a great deal of research on whether Tinder is actually used to facilitate infidelity. Many people assume uh, many people assume so, but as we know, not all assumptions regarding relationships are accurate. So it is important to conduct scientific research to test these lay people hypotheses, explained Dana Weiser, a assistant professor at Texas Tech University. Tinder and other mobile dating apps have changed how we meet partners, so it's essential that researchers understand what these changes are precisely. The study of 550 college students who had used or were using Tinder found that about one in five participants admitted to talking to a person on the dating app while in an exclusive romantic relationship. So they one in five people, 20%, admitted to talking to someone else on Tinder while they're in a supposedly exclusive relationship. Wow. Now, it doesn't mean they met up with them, doesn't mean they fucked them, just means they talked to somebody else. And to a certain extent, it's like, okay, well, why would you really even be on Tinder and talking to people if you didn't, at least part of you didn't want to maybe act on it, <laughs> right? If you weren't at least curious, right? Yeah. Like, if you're really going to be exclusive, just don't don't even go there, right? Yeah, but you know what? Like, this is a weird, uh, th- this, this, brings something to my mind this is a weird uh use case for tinder not to find other people but to make sure that your partner is monogamous um like i could tinder could effectively be a surveillance tool i mean not 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 for the nsa i mean the nsa is using it of course but um but you know for your partners and, and people with you like i could almost see like if i was tinder and you know in silicon valley the most important thing for a company to get is growth I'm not saying that's a good thing, but that's how they think. And if I were Tinder, I would put out a story just like this saying, hey, guess what? That person you're with, they're communicating with people. On oh, Tinder. so that people join to try to like spy on their their you own might, partners and then they end up using it. <laughs> yep. You might want to download it yourself. I mean, they don't care if you use it or not. Really, all they want is they want those download numbers. You know? Yeah, they exactly. Like you always say on your show, Sovereign Tech, that Silicon Valley is obsessed with growth. Like, yes. They just want yep, exactly. users, more users. And uh, yeah, I mean, I that's an interesting hypothesis. But yeah. I think it is a fear that a lot of people have about online dating in general. Um, and then it's like, okay, if you're if you're supposedly in an exclusive relationship with someone, mm-hmm. and you download Tinder and you go on looking for your partner, and then you find them, I mean, and then you say, well, what were you doing there? And they say, well, I was seeing if you were on there. Right. <laughs> then you're at a stalemate. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's partly about trust, right? Right. You know, like, if you snoop and you find something that you didn't want to see, is it your fault for snooping or is it the other person's fault for being dishonest? I I mean, there's a lot of ethical dilemmas you can get into. But if you snoop and you find out that everything's fine, can you live with the guilt, you know, (laughs) that you didn't trust your partner? So anyway, um, a minority of college students admitted that they had used Tinder to engage in infidelity. About 9% said that they had been physically intimate with somebody they met on Tinder while in an exclusive relationship. So almost 10% are actually physically cheating on their partners. Wow. With Tinder. But, you know, like, okay, Tinder has not always been around. Right. How many people are cheating on their partners without Tinder? Oh, sure. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like 10% of people cheating on their partners, that's actually pretty low. Like, don't (laughs) don't like 70% of marriages have some kind of infidelity? Yes. And there's not necessarily like an arrangement about it. It's just somebody cheats, you know? Like, 
there's a lot of cheating in supposedly exclusive relationships. It's one of the biggest criticisms of monogamy and and that kind of relationship. And I feel like 10% is kind of low. <laughs> but I guess that was only the people who admitted it. Maybe there's more. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, you know, I mean, y- you read this kind of thing. And granted, this is mainly to do with college students, right? Mm-hmm. You know, regardless. It's all college students. Yeah, yeah I, I really don't think that that this that tinder is somehow changing the landscape of people like the rates of of quote-unquote cheating and and all this i I just i don't believe it um if anything i mean even you know even in the workforce like outside of college or whatever you know a lot of people don't actually go to work anymore but then just these platforms allow them to get in their work social life sure and you know, that could include this kind of quote unquote cheating or mm. I mean, it's also crazy. Well, but. Th- speaking of a work social life, I mean, have you ever worked at an office? Like how many people were having affairs and cheating on their spouses? Oh, yeah. <laughs> even though maybe the spouse even worked at the same place. Sure. And <laughs> and they were still cheating on their spouse with somebody else who worked there, you know, or people were hooking up. I mean, people cheat. You know, it's not Tinder that's making people cheat like it's. It's Tinder isn't causing the problem. It's just the Tinder that ignites the flip. Ha ha. You know, <laughs> it, it just enables maybe some of that behavior in a convenient way, but it's not the root cause of the issue. Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, Tinder doesn't kill relationships. Relationships kill relationships or people kill relationships. Yeah, people kill relationships. <laughs> right. That's what like, remember a couple years ago. Now this is kind of stopped, but remember a few years ago, there was a big, hoopla about facebook being a relationship killer oh sure facebook which is not even supposed to be like a sexual dating app it's just a social networking you know Mm -hmm. social media and there were stories about people saying oh somebody else is sliding up in my wife's dms or whatever (laughs) 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 or like you know they my partner spends all their time on facebook trying to get likes and they don't even care what i'm doing you know like Mm -hmm. people were saying that the social media presents challenges to relationships long before tinder even existed yes i mean perhaps there is some truth to that like yeah it 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 can present challenges to relationships it can also enable beautiful relationships it can enable you to meet people that you never would have been able to meet it can enable you to keep in touch with long distance partners or whatever so it's not all bad you know it's just the the real issue is dishonesty or infidelity or whatever in relationships it's not the apps (laughs) no right right i mean certainly i think that's a major part of their use um i've argued for years that the reason facebook at least for the past few years, maybe now things are changing. Uh, but that's another conversation. But Facebook, the reason why people just wouldn't leave it was because it offered them the opportunity to fuck their neighbor. <laughs> you know, and it really and quote unquote neighbor is in somebody within the same you know right. geographic area or something. But um, I, I think that's a major, major part of why that, you know, why people just won't leave it, because there's that possibility, you know, that that could, that kind of thing can happen. And maybe this is speaking to, to Tinder's popularity as well. But again, it's not that that's that desire is not already there. It's not th- these these apps aren't making people, you know, evil yeah. or whatever you mm. want to whatever term you want to use. Um, you know, it just I guess it makes it a little easier. That's all. Exactly. It makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. <laughs> And speaking of making things easier, we're going to make it a little easier on ourselves and end off the show here. But we'll be back next week and we'll see you on the after show. Stick around. If you're leaving us now, thanks for listening. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over.
Play again next week. the after show welcome to sex and science hours after show if you've never been here before we're very happy you're here and how the after show works is if you want to be on the after show you have a chance to do that all you have to do is go to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com and you can go shopping through that link and we will mention your purchases on the show. Don't worry, we can't see who bought it unless you forward us the receipts like somebody did, <laughs> which yeah, is right. totally cool. Uh, but normally we, you know, we can't see who bought what. We just see what was bought and then we talk about it on the after show. And if you hear about something that you want to get, you can find it right at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. That's right. So uh, that's how the after show works. Now, we got an email that I wanted to read. Um, this person was buying stuff through the Stuff.Sex and Science Hour link, but didn't hear all of their purchases show up. And they actually sent us receipts to prove this. And I looked at the receipts and I'm like, yeah, I definitely didn't see all those items. So I don't know what's going on. Hmm. So they said that here's what happened. Here's what they do. They clear their browser cookies. They don't go to DuckDuckGo during the entire session because that screws it up. Okay. Um, they they go type stuff.sexandsciencehour.com directly into Firefox 58.0 beta on Debian with uBlock Origin. Nice. This is really serious. Yeah. Yeah. While well, doing <laughs> it right. Serious privacy. And then purchase as normal. So, yeah, I mean, that sounds pretty good. Uh, I don't understand why not all of them are showing up. Yeah, it's it all comes down to like this person isn't the only Some one of running them are into showing this up, issue, but not all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think Amazon is probably doing a lot to change this sort of thing. I mean, eventually this isn't going to be possible anyway because Amazon really wants you. We've talked about this before. Amazon really wants you to be ordering through your Echo. They want you talking. Okay, uh, you know, to to what you want, what you need to order. So, yikes! Yeah, so eventually, this sort of thing I think is going to potentially, if Amazon gets its way, is going to die off. Um, so, I mean, it could, but while while it's here, we're going to make an after show out of it. <laughs> yeah, please use it while it's here. You know, no doubt. And but this this isn't the only person this is happening to. And yeah. I've been trying to look into it and find some answers, but I'm not having a very and Amazon doesn't help at all. Yeah, uh, and it's so confusing. It's like, why do some of these things show up and some don't? I just right. I hate inconsistency. So yes. thank you for describing your process. I mean, it, it. I suppose it could always be that when we sort the list of items you know we miss a day or something and maybe that was the day that you bought some of these things mm -hmm. but i usually am pretty careful to like overlap the list so that right. nothing is missing and we usually read everything so i don't know what it could be uh thank you for trying to figure it out and hey you know if you if you go through the stuff.sexandsciencehour.com uh url and you 
have some of the items that you bought make it on the after show, I mean, that that's a success. We appreciate that. Yes. We really appreciate it. So thanks to everybody who participates in our after show. So what did people get <laughs> this week? Well, somebody has a cat and <laughs> in a hat yeah it might be in a hat uh but cats poop you know and they need a litter box so somebody got uh some it's litter called s wheat it looks like it like sweet but s wheat okay. and it has a picture of wheat on the front so i guess it's like a wheat based litter it's probably got that's probably what they do with all the gluten don't you think like they take oh, out, maybe. they take out all the gluten they make gluten free things and then they put the gluten into cat litter. <laughs> Problem solved. Okay. Right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> this was a 25-pound bag, so this was really serious. Somebody got the uh, a source book, Heir to the Empire source book, Star Wars RPG, hardcover, 1992. Oh, yeah. yeah. What is this? Is this a game, an RPG game? Yeah. So this is, uh, I, I guess, at like the Dungeons time. Dungeons and Dragons kind of yeah, thing? Yeah. At the time, it still would have been West End Games, who a lot of people don't realize just how much West End Games did to categorize the Star Wars universe. Mm. I mean, like, they. Oh, it needed some categorization because it's really confusing. Well, and, and also through between the time of really what this is for, uh, Heir to the Empire and Return of the Jedi, there wasn't a whole lot of Star Wars going on. And West End Games with their RPG, which is like Dungeons and Dragons, uses the D6 die system. Uh, it's legendary. I mean, it's absolutely legendary and people fully respect what it did for Star Wars. Um, you know, like like this, and Heir to the Empire also is really important because it has my favorite Star Wars character in it, that being uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. And so, yeah, this is really cool. Big like, Daddy Thrawn. Yeah, but he is the Big Daddy. I mean, he's <laughs> he's the real deal. He's the Sherlock Holmes of the Star Wars universe. You know, just he has entire fleets at his command. Um, yeah, th- that that's that's great stuff. I mean, and this is the thing that I think a lot of people, and and I really this really solidified for me when showing you Star Wars for the first time, Stephanie is that if like what makes star Wars great and why people stick with it, it's really not the movies. What makes people obsessive about it? I mean, you can enjoy the movies. Like you even thought the original trilogy was, was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, What makes people really obsessive about it was all of this kind of stuff. The, the, the source books, the role-playing games, everything outside of it that really turned it into, I mean, George Lucas laid out the template or the sandbox, but what people did with the sandbox outside of it, like with this kind of RPG and everything, that's what got, got people hooked because it's like, oh, wow, there's this whole universe and I could be anything in it. We could do anything in it. Mm-hmm. And that's why Star Wars. Is so is, I think that's the, that's its real magic. That's its real exciting things, because anything can happen there. <laughs> OK, well, there was another <laughs> one. Um, you might like this. The Last Command source book, a guide to volume three of Timis, Timothy Zahn's Thrawn trilogy. Three book cycle, yeah, start, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, Heir to the Empire was the first book, then there was uh, Last Command and Dark Forces, I think, was was the other one. Okay, cool, yeah, we got Heir to the Empire, Last Command, I don't see Dark, oh, yeah, Dark actually, Force Rising. Dark Force Rising, it's on, it it's on the list, yep, yeah. we got that one too. Yeah. Oh, very Dark cool, Forces so somebody brought game. the whole trilogy, that's really cool. Yeah, and, and you know, just real quick. Some nerd. <laughs> yeah. Bought the whole trilogy. Well, just real quick, Timothy Zahn, great author. Um, I mean, even outside of Star Wars, he did the Conquerors trilogy, which is one of my favorite book series. Um, you know, like these books, Heir to the Empire, when that came out in the 90s, in the early 90s, there was no other real Star Wars besides these role-playing games. That that was people's Star Wars for a long time until Episode One came out. And even after that, it's like, OK, well, maybe we'll go back to Heir to the Empire. <laughs> but, uh, but that that book, like was huge the, the, that trilogy the Thrawn trilogy is just one of the biggest 
book events, I think in history, I, I think it's bigger than, than Harry. Most, maybe the sales numbers don't add up. Maybe people don't think about it in the same breath, but I think it's a bigger book series than Harry Potter ever was. It's a bigger book series. I mean, it's just, it's one of the biggest events in, in the history of books. Uh, you know, and it's all because there was no new star Wars and this delivered and it was great. It wasn't like, it was, yeah, it was just, it was phenomenal. It wasn't just like a star Wars book. It was a great book and, uh, yeah, really important stuff. We have a division of labor on our podcast where Brian does all the work and talking about Star Wars and I know nothing about Star Wars. So I just kind of sit back and like go. Mm-hmm. Well, at least you let me say it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody got a Taylor Swift 2018 calendar. Nice. With a foil cover. Ooh, that's I like really Taylor cool. Swift. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's only $12 too. Awesome. I knew you were trouble when you walked in. I love that song. <laughs> Somebody got a Lasco ceramic tower heater. This looks like a space heater. Uh, and you're going to need that because it's really fucking cold in a lot of parts of the country, as we talked about in the beginning of the show. Those iguanas are going to need this little space heater here. Yeah. Uh, this thing is currently sold out. So I guess everybody had the same idea. Well, when it's negative 33 outside, yeah, for fuck's sake. Exactly. <laughs> Ooh, this is cool. So food to live, broccoli seeds for sprouting, 2.5 pounds. This is awesome. So um, some people like to make their own sprouts by sprouting seeds. And these are the seeds. And you put them in a um, basket or you can put them on like a... They have various apparatuses for sprouting seeds. But, um, you know, you put them in one of these baskets or you could plant them in the ground, I suppose, if you want it to grow into a broccoli plant. But uh, then you have fresh broccoli sprouts. And those are supposed to be like extremely potent anti-cancer uh, compounds in broccoli nah, sprouts. Good. Yeah. The cruciferous veggies are so good for like, it's almost like like a little bit of like chemotherapy every time you eat it. <laughs> and it smells like it too. <laughs> Actually, one of the first um, chemotherapeutic agents was uh, based on mustard. Mm. It was, um, oh God, I can't remember the name of it, but it was, it came from mustard essentially. And mustard is a plant in the same brassica family as broccoli, cauliflower, kale, um, broccolini, all those things. So yeah, cool. lots, of, lots, of, lots of good stuff in there. Um, I've never tried sprouting seeds. Well, I haven't tried it lately. I did try it when I was actually like 10 years old and my grandma gave me like a sprouting kit for Christmas <laughs> and I, I sprouted the seeds and I ate them and they were really good. Um, I wanted to try sprouting like legumes, like maybe chickpeas or lentils or something like that, because uh-huh. supposedly when you sprout them, they get the it gets rid of the anti anti nutrients or whatever, and it lowers the carb count as well. Hmm. So yeah, um, there's that. I will maybe maybe I will try that. I'll keep this open. Creatine. Somebody got creatine. One kilogram of creatine. Creatine monohydrate powder, micronized by bulk supplements for fifteen bucks. So a kilogram for 15 bucks. Wow. You have to eat a lot of creatine to get the right dose. Is that correct, Brian? No. You now, d- you know a little bit about this because yeah, you're into bodybuilding. There's a lot of debates around this. Um, oh, yeah. There have been forever. I mean, there's people who say you should be doing like like crazy amounts. Like, like you should just consume as many grams of creatine as you can in a day. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that I agree with that. There's people who, I mean, because also. This, I mean, too much of anything doesn't seem like a very good Yeah, idea, and this but... stuff isn't necessarily cheap. I mean, mm-hmm. well, you can get a good, well, anyway, it's it's. Is it in food? Is it in meat? It is in meat, right? I th- maybe in not creatine monohydrate, but there's right. some kind of creatine in muscle, I think, right? Uh, possibly. Yeah. So, but anyway, so my I'll just say quickly, I consume on average five to six grams a day 
mm. of creatine. I think it is incredibly helpful. Um, you know, especially if you're like into fitness, if you're working out in any way, mm-hmm. um, I think it's very helpful. There's arguments of when you should have it, when you should take it. Should you take it before? Should you take it after my system? The way I have it set up, I actually, with a pre-workout drink that I, that I drink, um, has two grams of creatine in it. And so I have that on the pre-workout and then on my recovery drink, which I have after my workout, um, that has like three or four or not, not in my drink in the, uh, in the, the shake usually that I make will have another like three or four. Mm-hmm. And so I split it up. You're so just I, mainlining that stuff. Yeah. I just, I get it. I get You're out of like the argument. Snorting it. Yeah. Whether before or after <laughs> I get out of the argument by doing both, <laughs> you know, I do, I do it before and after. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, it's not particularly expensive. One kilogram when you're talking about taking five grams a day or something. Well, or, in that case, it's not bad. But yeah. if you were taking like 30 or something, yeah, some crazy amount, sure, it would it would start to get expensive. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, somebody's into fitness, clearly. I have actually never experimented with creatine. Um, I did some I did some pretty serious athleticism and fitness when I was in my early 20s. And I never I never messed with creatine. Mm-hmm. Um, I did take a lot of other supplements, but I just. I don't know. I think I, I think for some reason, and I don't know if this is true, but I think for some reason I thought maybe it was rough on your kidneys or something. And because when, when they measure kidney function, they measure something called creatinine, right? which is not creatine, but it's a related substance. It's basically like a product of muscle breakdown. And it, the measure of how well your kidneys are functioning is how well they're filtering it out and getting rid of it. Yeah. Um, and so if there's a lot of creatinine in your blood, it means your kidney function isn't that good because your kidneys aren't excreting it. Mm. So I maybe I just made that connection and it was totally wrong. But I remember at the time I started eating a low carb diet back in 2002. Mm-hmm. It's now 2018. So it's been about 16 years. So I'm going on a long term end of one study. <laughs> <laughs> now, I I've basically bet my health on this, you know? Right. And I haven't always been extremely low carb during that whole time, but most of the time I've been pretty low carb. Yeah. And, um, you know, I I have bet my health on it. Um, One of the criticisms of low carb diets is that they can be rough on the kidneys, but I I think that's a myth for various reasons that are probably too nerdy to get into right here. But um, I... You know, I I guess I just worried about adding creatine on top of a low carb diet that maybe it would be too much for my kidneys to handle. Yeah, I mean, all I'll say is, is my understanding is that creatine, along with like BCAAs and you know like whey protein and things. I mean, whey protein is another situation that that gets into you know different different areas. But those 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 like those three things particularly. Like the research has really heavily been done and there's really no negative effects is, is, you know, my understanding of it. Um, and I looked into it before I started, like, cause I, I have a pretty serious supplement routine and, uh, you know, those, those were the ones that like, no, this is good. You, you, and you definitely, mm-hmm. and, and anybody doing any kind of fitness should be getting in on these. So right on. Cool. Well, maybe I'll give it a chance. Uh, UGO black luster soldier duelist pack. Yu-Gi-Oh. Fuck. <laughs> I made that same mistake last time, you know. That's all right. <laughs> it's basically like a Magic the Gathering card, but you Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> uh, what else did somebody get? Um, Brinks two-head par dustadon light. This is like an outdoor floodlight, maybe oh. one of those motion-activated ones. Twelve bucks. It's pretty cheap. We, you know, we had to get light bulbs recently through. Um, 
stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. We don't uh-huh. use our own affiliate link, but I'm just trying not to say the name of the actual place. Where yeah. I'm <laughs> even though you said it before. But anyway, we had to order some light bulbs recently and <laughs> the wrong light bulbs came. It wasn't the ones that were pictured yeah. in, in the item. It was a different kind, but I, we got it straightened out. We got it replaced. Um, you know, they're usually good at that, but it was a, it was a third party seller, you know, can't always trust those third party sellers. You just can't. <laughs> okay. So Orico tool free USB 3.0 to SADA external hard drive enclosure case. Say 20 bucks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. SATA. <laughs> nice. I'm a SATA masochist. (laughs) (laughs) Sony Mart replacement toothbrush heads for Philips Sonicare. That's good. It's an eight pack for $14.95 with a $2 off coupon if you remember to clip it. So these are like Mickey Mouse Sonicare heads, which that's good because they can get expensive, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Sonicare heads. I use the Sonicare. Gaium yoga strap. Maybe this goes with the yoga blocks that were uh, purchased last week. We had uh, a black yoga strap. Yoga straps are really good because they they let you grab like your foot if you can't reach it. It's in some pose, you know, (laughs) and they can also be used to do supportive poses that are like restorative kind of yoga. So uh, if you're a yoga practitioner, blocks, strap, blanket, they're kind of essential, you know. Right. But you don't have to have that stuff. I mean, it's just nice to have if you want to. It lets you do more stuff than you normally would. Java Press Manual Coffee Grinder Conical Burr Mill Brush Stainless Steel for $24. This is a hand crack crank coffee grinder. Awesome. It's the number one bestseller in manual coffee grinders. And how many of those are there out there? Well, you know what? (laughs) Who wants to grind your coffee? Can you save that for me? Like, send me that link? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to see that. Okay. I will I will make a note of that. Um, somebody got derby wrist guards, so like for roller derby. Oh, I know who did that. Oh, yeah. I think I have a feeling, too. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, she's cool. Somebody got a YubiKey 4 for 40 bucks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I know who did that, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's pretty cool, too. Awesome. Well, YubiKeys are really cool. Um, can you just explain a little bit briefly what they are for people who aren't familiar? Yeah, so YubiKeys um, are a device that uses what's called a FIDO standard, which is a... Okay, maybe that's getting too technical. YubiKeys <laughs> are a... Are I an love attempt... how you immediately went to the nerd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the nerd <Yeah>. level. <laughs> YubiKeys are a, a, a physical device Mm -hmm. that allows for two-factor authentication with accounts but Mm -hmm. the account that you want to you know enable with yubikey two-factor authentication usually it's a usb device or usb-c and you can plug it well the usb-c ones haven't come out yet Um, you can plug it into your usb drive and or into your usb port i'm sorry into your usb port and it will um It'll act like uh, like those one time pins, or it'll act like uh, like a know, Google, like, like Google authenticator. authenticator but thing. instead, it's a physical device. I'm a huge fan of these. There's a bunch of other abilities that they have too. But awesome. I'm a, yeah, I'm a big big fan of them. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, it is useful to have um, like security. They always say it's something. What is it? Something to steal from you. Something to chop off. Something. Right. <laughs> something that you know. Something that you have. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, right. But like, really, second factor authentication hardware. Like having a like a physical object that has to make for that second factor authentication, I think that's great. That's a pa- that's a pattern. That's a path that we need to go down more. Um, so I a big fan of YubiKeys. I wear one around my neck at all times. Mm. So and 
you can see me with my shirt off. And so it's not like I told you some grand secret, but <laughs> you know. try to take it from him. Yeah. Come and take it. Molan Lame. Yeah. From my cold dead hands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we had an Amazon basics, nylon braided USB, a to lightning compatible cable. Well, that's handy. Apple MiFi certified. Wow. Yeah. Lots of necessities here. Women's apparel. Number five Sherpa lined full fleece zip hoodie. Ooh, that looks warm. I hope the person with the space heater has this because it looks really nice. Nice. It's like a fleecy, soft hoodie. Uh, this is actually, I think, one of the items that the person was worried wasn't showing up in our show. Hmm. Um, and actually, there are a few of these items that that did show up this week in this week's cycle. So maybe they just didn't get included last nah, time because okay. they didn't get shipped. Maybe that was the problem. Um, Doctor's Best High Absorption Coenzyme Q10 plus PQQ gluten-free, vegan, uh, all that good stuff. Coenzyme Q10 is a thing that's in the mitochondria, and it is an antioxidant that absorbs the free radicals that are created because mitochondria are the cell's power plants, right? Right. And so especially in tissues that have a lot of them, like the heart, the brain, the liver, um, coenzyme Q10 is... uh, can absorb those free radicals and it helps sort of detoxify them. But if you take a statin drug, which are very popular drugs for cholesterol, it actually stops your body from synthesizing coenzyme Q10. Yeah. And so, yeah, your body makes it on its own. It's a natural antioxidant, quote unquote, right? Because your body actually makes it. But statin drugs interfere with the synthesis. So if you're taking a statin drug, you know, it may be a good idea to take this stuff too. But some people just take it because, th- you know, because it's good for heart health and it's an antioxidant and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, what the hell? Aspirin yeah. regimen, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, cr- bulk supplements, krill oil soft gels, 500 milligrams. Now, krill oil is like fish oil. It has omega-3 fatty acids, which yeah. are also supposed to be really good for heart health and are anti-inflammatory. We talked about this on the show before, but your immune system has a choice, basically, of making um, chemical messengers that signal inflammation, either starting from omega-3 fatty acids or omega-6 fatty acids. And it will use whatever is available. And so, but the but the end product, if you start from omega-6, the end product is more inflammatory than the omega-3 uh-huh. uh, product, than the product that comes from omega-3. So... And, you know, modern diets have a lot more omega-6 fatty acids than omega-3s, whereas for most of human history, it probably wasn't that way because we were eating a lot of wild fish and like even wild animals, ruminants have omega-3 fatty acids. But nowadays we're eating a lot of vegetable oils and like it really skews the ratio and nuts, Mm. nut and seed oils. So in order to balance that back out, a lot of people consume omega-3s. And krill oil is apparently you know, a a good, like, cost-effective source of omega-3 fatty acids. And krill are like little shrimp kind of things. Um, And, you know, they just, they have these nutrients in them. So. Nice. Good. You took fish oil, Brian, right? And it it helped your, you had like a little tennis elbow going on and it helped Something like that. Yeah. And I I think it was the the fish oil that eventually got rid of the inflammation in the elbow because now I don't feel like I would have a hard time um, like doing any kind of elbow movement with a weight. Like I would, I, or not that I'd have a hard time. I would feel it. There'd be mm-hmm. a burning sensation, but that went away with fish oil. So big yeah. believer. I still 
consume it daily. So do I. I mean, I t- maybe not daily. I try to get it from the diet as well. So like eating grass fed and trying to eat fish once in a while. Sure. But uh, yeah, I consume it and I take it too. And I, I'll take it before my period. You know, it's as as effective as Advil or aspirin nice. at relieving cramps. Uh, now, another thing, ladies, that really helps with that is magnesium. Most people are deficient in magnesium. Right. And in order to absorb it, you got to take a form like magnesium amino acid chelate or magnesium citrate, I think works to an extent. But yeah, most people are deficient. And what magnesium does is it helps the smooth muscles relax, like your uterus is made out of smooth muscle. And so when you get cramping, when you get your period at that time of the month, um, it can't, that muscle can't quite relax if it doesn't have enough magnesium. And also hormonal birth control depletes you of magnesium. And so most people are deficient anyway, but women, you know, they'll take hormonal birth control and then they'll start getting periods again and they'll be like, oh God, this is horrible. And I should go back on it because it'll make it better. But really, you probably just need to try some magnesium. Try magnesium and fish oil. I don't know. Couldn't hurt. So uh, Another Yu-Gi-Oh card, Dragon Master Knight. Doomless pack, Rivals of the Pharaoh, first edition, rare. Uh, Gas propane regulator hose. That's exciting. (laughs) I mean, it is kind of exciting. I wonder where where it fits in. Another Yu-Gi-Oh card, first edition, Blue Eyes, Ultimate Dragon, ultra rare, first edition, legendary cards. Sounds a lot like Magic the Gathering. They're similar. Ooh, here's a sex toy. This is cool. Uh... You know, I'm going to save that for last, actually. I'm, okay. I'm going to read the, this. I'm going to save the best for last. Uh, so another purchase from our emailer here, NatureWise Organic Curcumin Turmeric. Turmeric is a herb, the curry spice. You Superfood. Know, has yellow flavor, er, yeah, that yellow color. It's also used as a coloring agent. But yeah, a lot of people say it's really... Uh, super antioxidant, protects against Alzheimer's disease, possibly, um, per, you know, potentially cancer as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, a lot of people take it. I drink turmeric tea um, quite often, and I like to eat it, too, because I love curry. So, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, somebody got a yoga mat. New Year's sale. Health yoga, eco-friendly, non-slip yoga mat. Certified nice. TPE material. Oh, that's cool. Um I wonder if this is, yeah, this kind of looks like the kind that I have. Um, I have like kind of a, a yoga mat that's almost like those, you know, those things that you can open a jar with, those rubber kind of hand grips. Uh-huh. The, my yoga mat is almost oh, like it's that. Oh, made of that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I wonder if that was the same. Um, now, I'm saving saving the best for last here. There's only two purchases left. Second best, somebody bought your book, Brian. Dark Android 2017 edition, the no-nonsense guide to securing your smartphone and taking back your privacy by Brian Sovereign. Thank you so much. Yeah. I hope you enjoy the book. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's... um I hope they enjoy it, too. It's a great book. And what actually is Dark Android? Just real quick. Uh, Dark Android. Well, the title kind of says it all. Mm -hmm. That Dark Android is a project I started where it was, you know, coming up with the theoreticals and not just theoretical, but actually implementing uh, on your mobile device the most secure and private uh, uh, setup that you could possibly have with apps and all that stuff. And there's even I talk about the best Bitcoin wallet. I mean, all kinds of things are are in that book. Mm hmm. All right. And the last one is a sex toy. Ooh. Oh, yeah. The Satisfier Pro 2 Next Generation. Now, this is one of those toys that kind of reminds me of the Womanizer, if you've ever heard of that. It is like a it's a sex toy for pleasuring a clitoris. 
and it kind of sucks on it. It has like a Ooh. it has like a like an air current. Now I have never tried one of these sex toys, but I would like to try it. I think it it looks pretty cool. Add to cart. <laughs> <laughs> Touch free clitoral stimulation with an extra dose of pleasure, complete with eleven programs, a smooth oval head, innovative vacuum technology, and contact free massage effect. Nice. And it's waterproof too. That's cool. And it plugs in by USB. So there you go. Thank you for uh, participating. And wow, I've got some uh, suggested sex toys now that I <laughs> clicked on this. That's nice. Uh, <laughs> if you want to get your sex toys through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com, all you have to do is go through that link and you might even be on our after show. So thanks to everybody who participates. Thanks to all our listeners. We love you all. And we'll be back for you next week. Woo! Welcome to season five. Woo!